last Saturday, Tim and I hosted a mini marriage retreat up at Mount Vernon Country Club, and we had about 30 couples up there. The marriage retreat was scheduled to be from 9 to 2, and we were planning to leave the house at 7.30 a.m. So 7.30 arrives, no babysitter. Our babysitter did not show up, and uh, so began the circus at the Grotti household. And we quickly scrambled because there's going to be like close to 60 people up there in just a little over an hour. Tim leaves to drive up to Mount Vernon, and I stay back, and I start frantically texting some of you in this room saying, we're in a real pinch, and uh, here's what's going on. And then I sat down on the couch and waited. And in that time between sending out my help and the beginning of people responding, I was just overcome with sadness. I just started crying. It was this kind of combination of I was sad that Tim and I didn't have those last moments of preparation before this big day together in the car. There was some working mother guilt questioning, like, did I put too much stuff into this week, this weekend? Uh, there was just the sadness of... Um, Things not going as planned. And then being in this out-of-control situation where I have to reach out and ask for help at the last minute. And that's a vulnerable feeling for me. And um, then my phone began to blow up with people responding. And uh, one of those responses was Liz Dodrell, uh, Charlie, who leads song here, his wife. And you know when you're crying and your phone rings, you look at the name, and you make a decision, right? <laughs> Am I willing to pick up the phone when I'm crying with this person? And I picked up the phone because it's Liz, and she's a safe person. And I knew that if there was anyone I was willing, you know, there's a short list, but if, you know, if there's someone I'm willing to pick up the phone when I'm crying with, Liz is one of those people. And in that little exchange... There was a bond formed. There was a little bit of intimacy developed in our friendship because she reached out when I was sad and I shared my sadness with her and a little bond was formed. We are in this series called Help, What Do I Do With My Overwhelming Emotions? And today we are talking about sadness. Sadness is like a door it's like a doorway to intimacy with people and with God. 13th century poet and mystic Rumi said this, the wailing of broken hearts is the doorway to God. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. You know, the Jesus story, the epic story, the big story that followers of God in the way of Jesus live within is a story that includes three days. It's like a story that includes three acts. Act one is Good Friday. Act two is Holy Saturday. Act three, Resurrection Sunday. So today, we want to look at what does sadness look like on Friday? on Saturday, and on Sunday, 
in our lives? What does sadness look like? And how is sadness a door to intimacy with others and with God on the Fridays and Saturdays and Sundays of our lives? So act one is Good Friday. On Good Friday, something we love is lost. That could be a hope, that could be a dream, that could be a job, that could be the morning going as you had planned. But on Friday, something that you love is lost. And we live in a culture that is almost allergic to sadness. We want to get through it as quick as we can with the positive psychology emphasis of our world today. It's like, we don't want to risk slipping into a state of depression and despair, so just get through this sadness as quickly as possible. We live in a time when there's almost an allergy to sadness, a pressure that we feel to get over it, to move on. The ancient Christian monastic tradition believed that sadness had significance, that it was a serious matter requiring careful attention. What is this sadness about? They believed that left unchecked, it could lead to despair, but if attended to carefully, sadness also has the capacity to expand and to deepen our souls. Here's the thing, on Friday, the day when you lose something you love, it's a reminder of this funny tension we live in when it comes to loss. On one hand, loss is universal. Everybody experiences loss and sadness. But in another sense, loss is particular. It's universal, everybody experiences it, and it's unique, it's particular. It's specific to the person who experiences the loss. So when a person says to you, you don't know what I've gone through, you don't know how much I've suffered, they are, that is entirely correct. You don't. I don't. How could we? We do not know. We cannot know. Each person's experience is his or her own. So suffering is universal, it happens to everyone, but each experience of suffering is unique. And that's why suffering and sadness is such a solitary experience sometimes. There's a sense in which each of us has to face it ultimately alone in the sense that no one can come in and deliver it. No one can substitute themselves in for you. They can't mitigate the pain for you. But at the exact same time, loss and sadness does not have to isolate us. It does not have to make us feel lonely. Loss is often a solitary experience that you face alone, but it is a common experience that can lead you and I into deeper community with one another. Because we enter that community by sharing our sadness with each other. And when we do that, when we take that risk, a bond is formed, an intimacy is formed. Sharing sadness can create a community of brokenness. And there's a bond in brokenness 
that is unlike the bonds of superficial happiness. It's unlike the bonds of any other season. In their excellent documentary, A Brave Lament, Christy and Andrew Bauman share their overwhelming sadness when they experience stillborn birth of their first child. And we are going to, I want to share with you three clips today from their journey with overwhelming sadness to see what does it look like to experience overwhelming sadness on the Friday, the day of loss, the Saturday, the day following the loss. And what does resurrection look like? What does that look like when it comes to overwhelming sadness? A couple of quick things about these clips. Number one, they're not fabulous quality, so I'm sorry in advance for that. Uh, also, this is a beautiful film, but it's intense. And so I just want to give you permission, like trigger warning, uh, that if for whatever reason this is not the kind of story you want to immerse yourself in, you will not offend me if you get up and go get a cup of coffee during uh, these clips. It is, it is intense. It's about their experience with um, a stillborn child. And um, so just know I will not be offended if you need to get up and move around the, the room. But in Andrew and Christie's story in this documentary, the loss of Good Friday comes in the form of a stillborn child. It is their Good Friday. And to me, it is a picture of what we do with overwhelming sadness on the Fridays of our lives. This is their story. Let's take a look. As we prepare to go to the hospital on Wednesday evening, many times you look me in the eyes, Christy, and you ask me, how am I going to do this? My answer was, I don't know. The truth is, I didn't know. What needed to transpire in the next few days would require courage that I couldn't comprehend to me. interesting when I think about how I survived my sorrow I can only think of stories images in my head and I remember we got in the elevator and went to see the ultrasound and it was the eeriest emptiest sound because you could see there was no heartbeat right away and we got in the car and drove to Andy and Lisa's house and and there were people there Everybody just kind of ended up coming over to our house. Somehow our, our house turned into this really sacred just space of lamenting and, and crying out. And 
It was this really intense, just wailing. There were so many people there. Like, all the people who knew Brave was coming any minute, and they're just weeping. Like, no one even said anything to me. Not even a word. Like, no one said anything. They just were weeping when I walked in. be alone and get swallowed up by my grief and and somehow their example taught me taught me what mattered it matters to not be alone it matters to ask to be loved it matters to be touched it matters to have a place to talk about it nobody even said anything they were just crying This is what we do on Friday, the day of loss. It's tears and groans. It's coming together in tears and groans, in wailing and crying and beating the ground. Job 7, 9 through 10 says this, as a cloud vanishes and is gone, so is he who goes down to the grave and does not return. He will never come to his house again. His place will know him no more. What do you do with your sadness on Fridays? Tears and groans. Tears and groans. What do you do with the sadness of another on Friday? You enter it. You listen. You don't speak. Being a safe person for other people, being a safe church for sad people is in part about overcoming that awkwardness of what am I going to say? To become a safe person for other people when they're sad is to overcome that awkwardness. What do you say? There's nothing you can say in grief so deep. But to overcome that and to show up with I don't know what to say is much better than avoiding altogether. And so what do we do? Tears, groans. Psalm 137, 4 says, How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? That psalm is set in Babylonian exile, which is arguably the saddest time in Israel's history. Jeremiah's book of Lamentations is written in that same setting. And the foreign land is something we all enter. At different points in our lives, we all experience pain and suffering and sadness in our lives. And we all wonder that same thing. How will we sing the Lord's song here? How do we sing the Lord's song on Friday, the day of loss? Barbara Johnson says, we are Easter people living in a good Friday world. What do you do on Friday? You cry, you lament, you mourn. And then there is act two of this story. Of course, Jesus' death occurred on Friday. His resurrection occurred on Sunday. But there's this day in the middle, Holy Saturday. The day when loss has occurred and we are now living in its after effects. We're waiting. This is often a time of silence. 
uh, one author, Nicholas Wolterstorff, lost his son at age 25 to a climbing accident, and he says this about this period. Something is over. In the deepest levels of my existence, something is finished, done. My life is divided into before and after. I have no explanation. I can do nothing else than endure in the face of this deepest and most painful of mysteries. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and resurrector of Jesus Christ. I also believe that my son's life was cut off in its prime. I cannot fit the pieces together. I am at a loss to the most agonized question I have ever asked. I do not know the answer. I do not know why God would watch him fall. I do not know why God would watch me wounded. I cannot even guess. My wound is an unanswered question. The wounds of all humanity are an unanswered question. On Saturday, we are straining to hear an answer. On Saturday, we want an explanation for our suffering and the suffering of the world. But instead of hearing an answer, we often hear no answer. Silence. And rather than an explanation, which is what we want so badly, we often only catch a glimpse of God himself, torn and beaten and scraped. And through our tears on Saturday, we see the tears of God. Like in our sadness, we want so badly to have explanations, but we're not given an answer. We are given a person. God is not only the God of the sufferers, God is also the God who suffers. And the thing about suffering is we're all one in suffering, in sadness. Some are wealthy, some are smart, some are athletic, some are admired, but everybody suffers. Everybody experiences sadness. Everyone who chooses to love will experience loss. There will be pain. Choosing to love brings on suffering. Love in this world is suffering love. Now, some people don't suffer very much because they don't love very much. But the way of life in God's kingdom is love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. To live life in God's kingdom is to live a life of love. And to love is to suffer. God so loved the world, that he entered suffering. He entered sadness. Sadness is a doorway to intimacy with God and others. Because in sadness, you see the heart of another. And you see the heart of God. So what do we do with our sadness on Saturday? Counterintuitively, we wait together and we play together. 
we wait together, and we play together on Saturday. Have you ever noticed that when Jesus appears to his disciples after the resurrection, they're together? They're together fishing, they're together in the upper room, they are together. Saturday is this day of waiting. It's after the pain of Friday, it's before Resurrection Sunday. Most of our lives are lived here. It takes courage to be together on these days and to choose to play on these days. Christy and Andrew in the documentary found ways to honor their grief together in community. They shared their sadness and it became a doorway to intimacy with their people. This is what Saturday looked like for them. Let's take a look. The fear of being mocked has come up for me with um, death. Like there's a sense of when I choose life, the only thing that can mock me is death. And I've had to war that with anxiety where I either choose to keep living or I just, I become crazy in my anxiety because I'm so fearful of more death. And um, there's something about being in the midst of a pregnancy that I'm always kind of at the mercy of death mocking me. That's where I think play in life is the only way I can respond. The minute I get in the car with these women, it's it's complete ease. I've been at several of their births. I have been in deep grief with them, and your relationships catapult to another level when you've experienced that kind of hardship together and done it well. So to face grief head on and to greet it as you would any other emotion and to spend time with it and to not run from it. The women who surrounded me taught me how to keep breathing, taught me that ritual is necessary to not go crazy. And I can figure that all out in psychology. It says the same things, but it didn't say it the way doing life with these women said it. They were my teachers. can learn that from psychology she says it says the same things but it didn't say it in the same way as doing life with these people said it so on saturday we resist the urge to isolate forever On Saturday, we find ways to remember and we share our confusion and we create rituals of remembrance. As friends of those who suffer in sadness on Saturday, we reach out and we keep reaching out. This is the sadness, what sadness looks like on Saturday. And then Act 3, Resurrection, takes great courage to rise again after decimation, after loss. Parker Palmer says this, but this I know for sure, as long as we're alive, choosing resurrection is always worth the risk. But it is a risk. Every time it is a risk, 
it's vulnerable to rise again after loss, after death. What do you do with your sadness on day three? What do you do with your sadness, overwhelming sadness, on Sunday? You learn to celebrate that you are still here. That perhaps your misery would become your ministry. Desmond Tutu and the Dalai Lama wrote this amazing book called The Book of Joy. Now, arguably, those are two people who have suffered more than any of Uh, any of us have suffered. I mean, they have suffered a ton. But the thing that strikes you when you read their book or listen to the audio or, um, you know, if you get the chance to hear them, if you've had the chance to hear them speak together, is there's so much joy. Like the two of them, literally, when they would speak together, they would meet on the stage and they would begin tickling each other and giggling like little kids It's like they have been through the worst of what humanity has to offer and all the way through, and they're like, and we're still here. And we can still experience joy and meaning and purpose and their shared sadness, their shared suffering, their shared friendship was a doorway to intimacy such that they could have the vulnerability to stand before a whole moral leaders of the world standing before a crowd tickling each other and giggling like little kids. In Andrew and Christie's story, we see that they do laugh again. The documentary closes with this beautiful scene I want to share with you, showing that their sadness is a doorway to joy and intimacy. This is what sadness looks like on Sunday. Let's take a look. I tried this one before, I loved it. I love your dress. That color's so good on you. We were just reflecting that the reason we celebrate to the level we celebrate um, is because of how we've known death. And so um, I want us to celebrate more and be better at celebration and at marking. And so this is this is our mark, I feel like. You know, this is our celebration of the day that we were both born and brought into this life. And um, that's how I think Brave's death has marked us there's many ways but how we celebrate is particular to how we've grieved my dad's an OB-GYN so I've seen a lot of pregnant women in um, in my day but I had never seen two parents so excited so jovial and so innocent and like like what could go wrong like like children you know like and uh I've also never seen people so crushed. When we're expecting a baby, we expect to share life. There are certain people's faces that we can't wait to tell. We can't wait to see their joy and their surprise. And those people, when they find out that a baby's coming, they start having these little hopes. They hope with us for hugs before bedtime, 
or seashell hunts on the beach, our dance parties on the trampoline. I held these hopes for Brave, as I know many of you did too. When instead of life, death came, Christy and Andrew had to come to a crossroads of whether or not to share him, whether or not to share Brave. Because the task of holding and caring for your stillborn son is too great for a mother and father, we took turns holding him, singing to him, and giving him to you, Christy and Andrew, when you asked. I do not remember my life, a life, this life, with or without Brave. Like, I, I don't. Something that I always think about was the moment that we went to bury your son. And we saw this machine coming up to put the dirt on top of him. And we all knew that was our job. We will be This is our work. No matter how tired broken you all were, how exhausted. This is still the work. You make visible what I want so much to be invisible. Your marriage, it was hard to watch you guys grieve differently and, um, and throw grief at each other and anger at, you know, and it was so hard. And there was more anger for me because of what you guys, you guys used to play like so easily, you know. And then now to see you guys um, strong. And I feel like in this season, you're in first bloom after a forest fire. And, and, and I, as everyone's speaking here, I just saw, I saw the ashes uh, the landing on everybody's heads and in people's hair and on our food. And, and I think that there's just, there's just a beauty in people who are willing to bloom again after being decimated and uh, I think that's a gift and so bless you because of you all uh, we are semi-normal because because of you all like we're alive uh, so thank you for carrying our broken hearts and uh, being with us in this and continuing to six years later like right like the cost is high uh, it, it sucks and yet we truly believe uh, as we continue to honor what is true uh, we'll continue to feel uh, a liberation mm-hmm. uh, the deeper goodness and connectedness with each other to the level that we've grieved is the level that we've actually found laughter to play that was our choice after death
The hardest thing after you bury something and something so important is just to have pleasure, even just to to be naive again, to dance again, to sing again. I think I'm just aware I see brave moments in anybody who chooses to keep creating after they've buried. the beauty in those who are willing to bloom again after decimation. That is sadness on Sunday. Let's pray together as we close. God, you promise that you are close to the brokenhearted and you bind up those who are crushed in spirit. Your word tells us through the voice of Lady Wisdom in Ecclesiastes that there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. May the sadness in this room be a doorway unto you. And may the wailing of our Fridays and the silence of our Saturdays and the celebration of first bloom on Sundays, may all of it, God, draw us deeper into your heart for the sake of your glory, for the healing of your world. We pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And everybody who agreed said, Amen. Amen.